and welcome back. This is episode 10 of the Hidden Gems podcast, and as always, I'm your host, Marcus Johnson Luther. As I mentioned in our quick little bonus episode that dropped earlier this week, I'm sorry for the delay in episodes, but we'll be back delivering you content on a consistent basis. As for everybody tuning in, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for tuning in. And remember to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at hidden underscore gems pod. That's hidden underscore gems pod. Both of those are linked in the episode description below, and it'll really be appreciated. It'll allow you to stay up to date on all episodes, announcements, and everything in between. Lastly, when you subscribe, make sure you leave us a five-star review. That'll really help me feel better about the show. Let me know how you're feeling about it. Because, you know, put a lot of hard work into it, and it really um, it makes me feel good to hear the feedback you guys give. So I'm really appreciative of that. But for today's episode, man, this, I'm not even going to lie to you, this is a really great episode I got today with Jen and Roy. Jen and Roy are both just really probably, I mean, they make me feel stupid for how good they did on this episode today. They were really smart, funny. Any positive adjective you want to throw at them was really great to talk to them overall. They're both, I guess, personal trainers kind of, but they really do more than that. I don't want to pigeonhole them with personal trainers at all. They're really both people that are, I'm going to call them life improvers. They look to improve people's lives overall. That's what I would say. And they're just really both inspirational people. They both challenged me even in this podcast episode they really helped me get better and that's really just what they do with people overall so i was really just glad to have them on we have a really dope conversation i think you guys are really going to like it and so let's get forward to it so let's go to another very very special episode i say that every every time this is a special one it's the first time i'll ever be inter- interviewing two people at once um two people i've known for a pretty long time uh they've met me at a time when it was unfortunate to meet me uh <laughs> back when i was a big knucklehead but um everybody welcome jen and roy how are you guys doing today doing pretty good yeah, we're good Sunday. we're good how are you doing oh you know just trying to stay warm we're recording this on uh, super bowl sunday when it's cold as shit out here in Minnesota, so, Mm -hmm. but we're living the life, living the life, Um, and before we get started, I just wanted to say, like, you guys just moved, right? Yeah, so we moved into my parents' old house, because they just moved to Hastings, so this is, like, my childhood home. How does it feel to, like, be back in your childhood home? It's, like, the weirdest part is sleeping in my parents' bedroom, (laughs) (laughs) That's weird. I still wake up and I'm like, oh, what am I doing in here? My room's over there. <laughs> well, we were, we were definitely ready to get out of our apartment. We were in a one bedroom mm-hmm. with a dog and a cat. And um, especially during the pandemic when we were home, like all the time, that was just too small of a space. So it's nice to have some more room and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. And I saw that like, well, first, let me say congratulations. And I saw that you, you guys have a backyard for your dog now too. So that's a big plus. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. We used to have to like take her out like go through the apartment lobby and when you're just getting up at like 6 a.m and you got like your pajamas on and you gotta throw your face mask on and your hair is all crazy it kind of sucks to take your dog (laughs) yeah we were on the fourth floor too so it's a lot of stairs um and you know our apartment was right off 
Lake Street, which if you're from Minneapolis, you kind of know that area. <laughs> so there's some crazy stuff going on in our building, but it's all a part of it. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just cool. I mean, I've been in that apartment building before. The elevator's kind of slow, too, so the stairs, yes. the stairs are a way better uh, way to go. But yeah. So I just want to say congratulations to that. And like a little other thing, like Roy, congratulations on graduating as well. Thank you, sir. It's been what? Almost a little under two months. Yeah, something like that. Uh, How's it been? How's post-graduation life been for you so far? It's been interesting. Um, I'm definitely somebody who I I like to have a lot of structure in my life. Um, And particularly like now that I'm working for myself, it's kind of on me to create that structure which I'm still kind of navigating. So that part is difficult for me because some days I'll end up working way more than I want to, or, you know, it's, it's nice because you don't really have to do anything that you don't want to do, but at the same time, nobody's guiding you through anything. So it's kind of on you to make sure that you're progressing and doing the things that you need to be doing to put food on the table and stuff like that too. Um, but yeah, I, I, the one thing that I really enjoy is not having to like read stuff that I don't care about and, study stuff that I don't care about. It's kind of crazy how much you end up doing that in college. Like you think you'll go from high school to college and then you'll get to study what you want, but that's not my experience at least. Oh, I felt that for sure. Especially the structure part. You know, I'm a person, if I don't have structure, I'll sleep until whenever and I'll just do whatever. You, yeah. and- for, for me, it's kind of the opposite. Like if, if I don't have structure, I end up doing more, but a lot of times it's not it's not in a productive way. Like I just work and stress myself out because there are all these things that I want to accomplish, but I don't necessarily have like these concrete steps that I can take. Um, and there's no deadlines. There's nothing like that. So it, it's kind of the opposite for me, but it's, it's still a struggle for sure. Right. Right. And uh, Jen, you also somewhat recently graduated. Um, I mean, you had an interesting first year of graduation overall, at least with the pandemic. How's yeah. that been for you? Well, I graduated right before the pandemic, like, got here. So right before everything closed down. So all my classes were in person. Um, and then I graduated from Carleton and, like, shit hit the fan. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, I'm out of there. <laughs> um, I think everything, Carleton was really hard. So everything after Carleton has been... I mean, I'm not going to say a breeze, but, like, thinking about how much I was doing at Carlton and how much stress that was, like, I'm super glad to not be there anymore. <laughs> yeah. One more thing I think about, like, our I, – I don't want to speak for you, Jen, but we've talked about it a lot. It's I think we went to different schools. I went to St. Thomas here in St. Paul. Jen was at Carlton in Northfield. So, first of all, we had the long-distance thing for our first couple of years, which was difficult. Um, in its own right. But then on top of that, I think neither of us really had the traditional college experience. It was more kind of go to class, get your work done, and just try to try to make it by. Like we weren't we weren't in the mix in terms of parties and extracurriculars and stuff like that, um, which is partially on us, but also just the, the culture and the environment at a private college was a lot different than what we were used to growing up in the inner city, going to public schools. So it was kind of hard to find your crowd and whatnot. I'm sure you experienced some of that too. Right. I was going to say, I had a tough time adjusting to it and I went to the U, so I can't imagine what it's like for you guys. Cause like, I just think about like when I went to South, it's just, I feel like I was a different person when I went to South compared to when I was in college. Cause 
just the surrounding and the area I was around. But I like the South version of myself more a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I also just wanted to like ask really quick. We're coming up on a year now. So how has like the new normal pan the new normal in the pandemic been for you guys? this has made me realize I will never, ever, ever, ever work a nine to five. Like I will never do that. Um, I really have enjoyed, um, kind of been a- being able to like kick it more at home. Um, and not so much like focus on getting up to work and work only. Um, beyond that though, I'm, I don't think things will go back to like quote unquote normal. Like they were before the pandemic for a long, long time. So Roy and I are just kind of trying to navigate like how work is going to look for us and um, kind of next steps to take. Yeah. Um, from my point of view, it's, it's really strange. Like the masks and wiping everything down and all that stuff does feel like you use the word normal. That feels incredibly normal to me now. Like it, it's almost second nature. We're at the gym. And so every time you use anything, you're going to want to wipe it down and it's, you know, that's that's not too bad. That feels very normal to me now. Wearing a mask is, is you know, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but yeah, like like Jen said, just spending a lot more time at home and with if you have a significant other, um, that has been interesting. Um, at first, I noticed that I was really good about um, like trying different. Th- I just had more time on my hands, so I was trying different things that didn't have anything to do with work or school. Um, when it first started, we were like trying to learn different instruments and doing, <laughs> trying to get back into whatever foreign languages we had learned in school and stuff like that. But as it went on, we kind of got away from that stuff. So um, I feel like having more time at home and more time on my hands in general has been really interesting navigating that. Um, good in a lot of ways, but challenging in a lot of ways as well. So I, I guess it's it's taught me um, just how 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 much what you choose to do with your spare time can kind of impact your well-being and stuff because like I said before I'm somebody who really struggles with I always want to fill my free time with something that I feel is going to be productive even though a lot of times it's just busy work but I feel like if I'm not working somebody else is working and they're going to get ahead of me or something like that you know so that has been my experience just navigating all the free time has been really interesting yeah that's a I mean for me too when the pandemic first started in uh, March or whatever I was really like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn 10 new skills. I'm going to do this, that, and the third. And I was just burning myself out, and I really wasn't doing anything at all. Like, I was, I was convincing myself I was doing stuff, but I wasn't doing anything. Yeah, that's something that I, I can see. I, you know, there's so much that I want to do, and I really struggle with, like, starting way too many things. Um, just because sometimes it feels like the more you do, the more productive you are, or the better you'll become because of it. But... The more I do that and make that same mistake, the more I'm learning that it's much better to kind of just buckle down on one thing and try to learn everything you can about it and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. Like for me, when it started, I was um, like, I tried to convince myself, oh, I'm going to learn Spanish from Rosetta Stone. They got a three month free trial. I'm going to learn how to code from Code Academy. They got a three month free trial. So I was doing all those things. And I had like a schedule of like, oh, Monday, Tuesday, I'm going to code. Tuesday thir- or Wednesday, Thursday, I'm going to do Spanish. And then I would get there and I'm like, I'm just wasting an hour and a half every day doing this. Like, I'm not doing anything at all. So yeah. it's, it's really big, tough to get that balance. The biggest thing I think is like when, when, things, when things like that become things that you no longer want to do, but it's written into your schedule, 
and you're just trying to get through it, like you're just trying to do it so you can check it off your list, that's when you kind of get yourself into trouble because then it's no longer something that you actually want to do. You're just the same way we do with school. You're just trying to check a box and you don't really get anything from that. Like you said, it's almost kind of a waste of time. All right. You put that perfectly. And then I just had one last question that popped into my head. Is this like a little intro or whatever? So how long have you guys been dating now? We're coming up on, on five years. Mm. Yeah, it's been a while now. Dang. Yeah, March 11th. Dang. March what? March 11th. Wow, that's crazy. Aubrey and I's is March 10th. Yeah, what? I remember that. Yeah, we'll be four years on March 10th. So we're a year and a day behind you guys. Congrats. Or maybe I did that wrong. Anyways, um, so we'll get into it a little bit. I mean, you guys are both very strong. This might be the first podcast I've recorded where both people can uh, lift more than me. But very strong people. You guys do a lot of lifting. You're super um, into athletics and all that. So my first question is then, like, in your estimation, like, how long has lifting and, like, weight lifting and exercising and all that been, like, an integral part of your life, you'd say? Uh, so for me, um, my dad was a powerlifter, and he doesn't really compete anymore, but he was a powerlifter. So we had, a, we had like, a home gym before it was cool. We had a home gym. Um, <laughs> and well, it was either that or my dad would go to the Y, and he would drop me off at, like, the kids' place. Um, but, like, that was always the way that we bonded together. So ever since I can remember, I, was, I just was like, I want to do weightlifting because that's what my dad does. So um, I would be down there with him a lot, which I'm sure my mom was really glad about. <laughs> that was like, his way of, like, hanging out with me and babysitting me. And I didn't have to be up here causing all types of craziness because there were six kids living in the house. So, yeah, I mean, I would say, like, as long as I can remember. For me, um, I probably started, like, messing around lifting weights, like, later on in middle school. Um, but my journey as far as, like, fitness and, and health goes way back because I grew up a chubby kid. And I remember very early on that was something that I just got tired of. And I consider myself to be a pretty, like, disciplined person, kind of like a, a go-getter type of person. So I remember very early on, probably, like, third grade I just kind of took it upon myself to like try to make smarter choices when it came to what I was eating and make a concerted effort to get more exercise but back then it was just like running push-ups sit-ups stuff like that but I, I lost like 20 pounds like from from that young of an age it it's been a big part of my life and and since then it kind of waxed and waned as I went through middle school I remember the days of share splitting the hot Cheetos with the table the lunch table and stuff <laughs> like that I'm not gonna lie like I was always on top of it and stuff like that um but that's kind of like where it all started. And then since then, um, I was super into sports growing up all the way through high school. I still am. Um, so then it kind of transitioned to I wanted to use lifting and training as a tool to better my sports performance. Um, but in all honesty, I had no idea what I was doing back then. So my lifting didn't necessarily translate to sports performance. It kind of led to, you know, I was putting on some muscle and stuff like that, but um, the higher the higher levels you get to, you have to be very specific about the type of training you choose. Um, so that's, that's kind of the evolution for me. Um, but it's been a part of my life for a very long time. I was going to say, I mean, third grade, being that attendant, what is that, seven, eight years old? That's, that's a different level of commitment. Yeah, I'm, I don't really know, like, it just, it, it got to the point where I felt I knew that if nobody else could do it for me, like, it was going to have to, because 
my mom would try to help me as far as eating and stuff like that. But I had, um, my parents were divorced from a young age. And I remember I had an issue where at my mom's house, she would feed us relatively healthy stuff and kind of hold us accountable to going outside and exercising. But then I would go to my dad's house and it was just all out the window. So I kind of realized it was going to have to be on me to make smarter choices if I wanted to, to change. And, um, I guess that's kind of been a big part of the way I live my life since then. All right. I felt that, you know, um, my parents were divorced basically since I was born. Um, I felt that for sure. It's just like you have two different worlds kind of, it's kind of hard to control. Yeah. There are different rules at, at each house and different dynamics. It's, it's challenging for sure. Yeah. Um, and then like, how would you guys say it's changed your life? Like for the better or whatever. And then like a second question that is, when you started, did you ever imagine that you would be able to support yourself financially through it? Um, I would say that more than anything, like um, lifting weights and kind of athletic development is a way that I'm able to uh, connect with myself and to keep growing in a way that's not like, um, I guess, super defined by capitalism. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I'm not like, I don't make money specifically because I lift weights, you know, but I'm able to um, grow as a person and grow in maturity and know myself a little better. So um, if I didn't have, if I wasn't able to like lift, I'm not really sure what route I would take that would like allow me to spend that time with myself. Um, and then I think I always wanted to be like a personal trainer. I mean, my dad was, and so he co like he co coached me for like a long time. And so um, I always wanted to be that way for somebody else too, but um, I never really thought that I would like go the personal trainer route. I thought I might just go like the coach route because I did play a lot of sports growing up. So, and now I don't know anything about sports, so <laughs> I <probably laughs> won't do that. <laughs> yeah, I guess for me, um, it definitely has changed my life in that it gives me an outlet where um, it's just like a very directed focus for that 45 minutes, hour and a half, however long the workout is. Um, I have a very busy mind and busy body, so I love having that blocked off time to just focus on something that's almost like outside of myself and just, just do that and nothing else. Um, in terms of whether I ever imagined like that I'd be doing what I'm doing now, uh, the short answer is no. Like. I didn't really know that more particularly now I'm really getting into like sports performance training. I didn't really know that that was a thing because it's not, that's something that I was exposed to or I had access to when I was coming up, which is sort of why I'm so passionate about it now, because I think it could have made a huge difference for me when I was a young athlete. Um, like I said before, you, you can train and you can lift weights, but it has to be more specific if you want it to actually translate to sports performance. So, I didn't even really know that the route I'm taking was a route. So when I first got to college, I assumed that um, it was kind of be a doctor, be a physical therapist. There are these, you know, these certain routes you can take. Um, and then as I was exposed to those different jobs and stuff like that, I realized that I just didn't feel like I would enjoy going to work. Um, and that wasn't something that I wanted for myself on top of the huge financial and, and time commitment. Um, I had been doing school through my school had J terms, so like the break between winter and your spring semester, I was taking classes. I was taking classes in the summer, uh, so I was just really tired of, of school, <laughs> honestly. And I just kind of wanted to 
do what I thought was going to make me happy and how I felt like I could make an impact. Um, in terms of like the financial support, that's an, kind of an ongoing struggle because like I said before, it's on you to make sure that um, you're charging whatever is going to allow you to take care of yourself. But you're also for us, a, a huge emphasis is making sure that, um, you know, we're accessible to the, the people around us in our community. We don't want to just work with kids from the suburbs who have all these, all this money to pay for it. And, um, so the financial part is a struggle, but I feel like we're pretty blessed to um, be as young as we are and have our own business. And I don't want to say we're, we're be relatively established and, and stable. So that's definitely a blessing. Well, I'll just say like in terms of your pricing, just because I know the level of commitment and like dedication you guys put into it, your pricing is more than fair. So you guys are doing a good job in that aspect. Thank you, Marcus. It doesn't <laughs> always feel like it based on the way people respond when you tell them what you charge, but um at the end of the day, I always tell people like, we, we, you know, you've got to take care of yourself too. And we have bills, we have rent. Um, so as much as we want to serve our community, we can't do that unless we're taken care of too. So yeah, my, my favorite thing is when people are like, do you charge? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> this is my job. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's perfectly, anybody listening, perfectly reasoned in the pricing. So yeah, let's, um, and then you mentioned you played sports a little bit. Jen, I know you did too. Um, well, actually, this is a little sidebar. People don't know, Roy was, a, Roy was a multi-sport. He was pretty boy Roy back in the day on the basketball court. He used to throw the no-look behind the backs. Jen was, were you a captain on the volleyball team? Yeah, and track. See, look at the, this. This multi-sport athletes who just did it all. <laughs> But um, do you wish, or did you, actually, I should change this. Do you, did you take lifting seriously? And if you didn't, did you wish you could take it more seriously then when you were an athlete in high school? Um, you want to go first? South was, I'm sorry, very, like, pathetic in this <laughs> arena. Like, um, the only time I was ever sent to the weight room regarding my sport was track. And we would do, like, three sets of ten of everything. And it would just be the most randomly selected exercises. Um, in between sports seasons, I would, like, work out downstairs with, in the basement with my dad. But obviously, powerlifting does not carry over to sports well. So I think, like, I would have been a better athlete for sure if um, or if South had, like, a good strength and conditioning coach. Um, however, I don't think I wanted to play, like, college volleyball or anything like that. I'm just too short. I'm quite poor. So it wasn't going to happen, like, no amount of lifting. Um, yeah, for me, like I said, I mean, I took it seriously. I was in the gym all the time, um, but I just didn't know what I was doing. And that goes back to what Jen said. There just wasn't any guidance. There wasn't any structure. We didn't have a strength and conditioning coach at our school. Um, so I think if I would have had some guidance – um, I could have seen a lot more results from the work that I was putting in because I was putting in the time and the effort. I just didn't know where to direct it. Mm -hmm. um, and looking back on it, it, it seems like really common sense now that I know what I know. But if you just leave a 15, 16 year old kid to try to do it on their own, of course, they're going to fuck it up. Like what, what do you expect? <laughs> and I, we had strength coaches that were like, would intermittently come in and, and, and work with us, but it was, there was never any consistency. And yeah, a lot of times it does come down to, um, an underfunded schools like, like ours was in public schools, it, the sport coaches end up being the strength coaches too. And in that case, they're just going to do whatever 
their coaches had them do when they were younger, which a lot of times is outdated, not not research based, um, is not effective. So and, and it's not their fault too because they only have so much time in the day and they're not getting paid well either. So it's, right. it's like, why would you expect them to go out their way to like do research about um, sprint mechanics? Yeah, you know? no, totally. So for me, I, I definitely did take it seriously. I just didn't know what I was doing, and again, that's just why, like, that's why I get so fired up about it now because now I feel like I do have a pretty good grasp on things. Of course, I still always be more to learn, but if I can kind of pass down what I know to, to younger kids or even, even older athletes who haven't trained the way that I feel is the most conducive to enhancing your performance. Um, I feel like that's a a great way to make a a big impact on people. Um, outside of that too, like this isn't lifting, but you mentioned, um, just how I, I feel like I was always pretty skilled when it came to sports. Like that was sort of what I excelled at. Um, whether it was like playing defense in baseball, um, or, you know, pretty tight handle on the basketball court, throwing fancy passes, whatever. But when it came to like in games and just the sports psychology aspect, I really wish I would have had a lot more support um, on that side of things because that's a huge part of the equation. And for me, that was a, always a constant struggle. I, I hate to admit this, but I would consider for, for whatever reason, I think it was just because I felt more comfortable in my um, abilities as a baseball player, but particularly for basketball, I, I, will, I would say I was more of a practice player, like in an environment where I felt comfortable, I feel like I could excel. But then when you're on the court in front of a lot of people, um, you're nervous, particularly for me, I always had the ball in my hands, which is a lot of pressure. I just wish I would have had more guidance and tools to learn how to deal with that. And that's something that I see a lot with my younger athletes is just, you know, if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. And learning how to deal with mistakes and anxiety when you're playing is so, so important for performance. So I wish I would have had more guidance both on the lifting side and the sports psychology side. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, too. Um, Roy and I were teammates back in high school in the basketball team, and I'm like – I'm a really high anxiety person. So I would, oh, before every game, it was tough. Like I have to go walk around by myself before. I don't know. I just got really nervous. So that's a really good point too about the sports psychology aspect as well. Um, I had another question too. Were you, so Jen, I know you were there. We graduated the same year. Roy, were you there when the old weight room, the old South weight room? Oh, that's honestly, that's, they should be embarrassed that that was ever a thing. That was terrible. I don't know if that it's worse that it used to look like that or that it's as nice as it is now and they don't use it. Like, those are both equally bad yeah. to me. But, yeah, it was atrocious. And <laughs> on top of that, I, I recall, like, being in eighth grade and they would have us, as incoming freshmen, they would have us come in, little summer camps and stuff. Some of the shit we used to do was just, like, <laughs> I look back on it, like, how did we think this was going to improve us? Like, yeah. I remember one of the strength coaches that was kind of in and out the door would literally have us running around the balcony with plates above our head, just laps. <laughs> like, I just don't know how you look at like basketball or whatever the sport is. And you're like, yeah, this, this will make us better. <laughs> well, well, the days at South were quite a story. They're quite a story. Um, just moving on a little bit. So you both run, or excuse me. So you guys both do a lot each and every day. Uh, how do you find the motivation to keep going every day? Because it's, it's got to be exhausting. And you, there's, I mean, I know you guys are both really highly motivated people. There's got to be moments where you're like, damn, like, I just want to go lay down. So how do you keep going every day? Um, I used to be really, really bad about this. And I feel like it was, like, until the pandemic hit. Because I had, like, 12 in-person clients. 
and many of them are like two to three times a week and kind of juggling like graduating from school and trying to be home because we have a dog um so it wasn't until the pandemic hit where I was like wow like I was so stressed out for no reason um because there's just like I don't know there is no reason for me to be at the gym that much and then also making because we have a sliding fee right so I had to start getting a little bit more strict about prices and about what I could actually take on um but right now I would say like it's important for me to do at least one thing every day that makes me happy and if that means that I'm not gonna finish whatever it is I'm doing like okay if it's not due tonight I'm gonna be all right so um I think at the at the core of everything it's just important that like I'm here and I have people around me that I care about and that support me and I have um like a, ho a home I have somewhere to just be so I think for me not everything has been about being productive it's just been about like enjoying my time here I'm still trying to work on that a little bit but I feel like I've gotten like mountains better yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, I So I feel like motivation kind of like undulates. It goes up and down. So I try not to rely as much on motivation and more so kind of fall back on like the passion that I have for doing what I do um, and just keeping sight of remembering, you know, what that what you're doing is hopefully making an impact, um, making sure that you're acknowledging when, when you're making progress and giving yourself credit for just doing the little things that are going to help keep you moving forward. Um, so for me, I guess it comes down to more passion than like motivation or willpower. Um, I mentioned earlier that I really like having structure. So I keep a pretty detailed planner. I have things that I do every day to make sure um, I'm holding myself accountable to trying to get better every single day. Um, it doesn't always look the same, but there are things that um, – I feel like if I if I can do every day, then I'm doing pretty good. And usually those things are getting my own workout in, making sure that um, I'm there on time for all my client sessions as best I can be, making sure that everybody's programs are updated, things like that. Um, outside of that, I, I think Jen made a good point that it's really important to build in little breaks and times to just, just be and not, not be working. And that's something that's an ongoing struggle for me, but it'll continue to be something that I work on because I do think it's extremely important to not always be doing something to be able to just, um, be with yourself and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm a big advocate for, um, breathing and meditation. It doesn't look the same for everybody. For me, I like to just, after my workout, I'll just take 10 deep breaths. Um, that's my personal strategy. And then if I have extra time, maybe I'll do another session of meditation or progressive muscle relaxation or something like that later in the day particularly if I've been looking at screens for way too long, I like to do that. Um, but that's, that's kind of what, what I do to make sure that I don't get burnt out. Um, another strategy that I should be doing more of, but Jen has given me because I, I do work a lot is setting either time limits on how long you're going to spend on a task or making sure that you are prioritizing things like, um, spending time with, loved ones overworking on, on the weekends and stuff like that. The last thing that I'll mention on this topic, and I'm sorry to ramble, but yeah, no this worries. is something I, I get, I'm very passionate about because it's something that I struggle with. Um, in terms of like 
keep keeping going on and stuff like that for us or at least for me it's not always a choice because i am in, we're in a situation or i'm in a situation where it's my only source of income like i really took a big bet on myself when um i quit my other part-time job so I, i'm sort of in a position where i don't have a choice and in a way that's a blessing because i have to i have to keep working to get better um but it's also a lot of pressure so I think betting on yourself um, can be great because you almost have no other choice but to keep working towards what you want. But it's also a lot of pressure because you feel like if you fail, you have nothing to fall back on. So that's sort of the big picture on um, how I'm able to do what I do day in and day out. Right. I mean, it's kind of like it's like sink or swim, basically, is what it and that, I think that's a good way to put it. And you mentioned like getting better. What are some things you do to keep, like, keep getting better and make sure your clients are getting the best version of yourself? So, like, how do you do that? For me personally, um, and, like, with maintaining motivation and stuff, I have to make sure that I um, am there mentally. So, in order to be there mentally, I'm going to make sure that I'm taking care of myself before I go and try to take care of somebody else's, somebody else, like, filling my own cup beforehand. So... Um, that might be watching a show. That might be um, going to train the dog because I find that to be really meditative. Um, and I think it's not, it's not only like how much preparation you do beforehand, but making sure that you take care of yourself beforehand. Because if I go to the gym and I am in a session with a client that needs a lot of attention, I don't want to be thinking about, okay, when I get home, I have to do this, this, and this. Like I want to be there and fully present. Um, I don't want to be on my phone checking messages or checking social media. Um, so that is one big thing for me, making sure that I'm taken care of. And then also I'm doing um, a year-long uh, coaching development program right now. Um, and I'm doing that on top of, like, my master's program and my CHW certification. Jeez. So okay. <laughs> kind of a lot, but um, – it's been really helpful so far and has made me feel more confident in my coaching, which is like, I feel like to a certain extent, if you're confident in spewing something at somebody, they're going to take it much better than if you're like not confident, but you're spewing like the exact right information. Right. At them. Um, so like just, you know, building myself up so that I can be confident at my sessions is really important. Yeah. Um, that is a huge, I, I, that's something that I know I need to work on and I will continue to work on. It's just being present in every session. It's hard not to let your mind wander to whatever the next task is or, or you know, other, for me, it's a lot of times like I, I spend an unbelievable amount of time just thinking about training and what is the best way to accomplish this or what is the best solution for this athlete and stuff like that. So really trying to just focus on um, the person you're there with, the workout they have, and just being as present as you can be is big. Um, as far as like education and trying to continue to develop as a coach, um, there are a lot of different strategies I have as far as like being exposed to new ideas and learning new information. Um, I think you can learn in a multitude of different ways. So for me, it's a lot of podcasts. It's a lot of like lectures on YouTube. Um, I have been a part of different coaching development stuff. Um, but ultimately I decided that for me, I, I like to write, just keep a list of topics that I'm interested in. And then just uh, one thing that I'm grateful for about, you know, going to college and stuff like that is I feel like I have a pretty good ability to kind of parse through research and 
not have to read the entire 30-page document, but be able to just kind of pick and choose what I think is important. So I like to kind of pick a topic and compile a bunch of information about it, formulate my thoughts on it, and then go look and see what other people think about it. And um, one thing that I wish I had a little bit more of was just other coaches to kind of bounce ideas off. Obviously, I have Jen, but um, our our we work with a little bit different populations and stuff like that. So I would I would like to have more like-minded individuals to kind of bounce ideas off of. But I feel like I'm pretty good about um, continuing to educate myself and trying to always come up with um, the best thing, never being satisfied with what you're doing right now and always looking for the next best thing. See, see, this is what I'm talking about. That pricing is fair. You hear, you hear what they're doing for the people they're working with? That pricing's fair. Um, just another thing, like, I know y'all both get in your bag for music, and y- y'all bump a lot of music. Like, what do you listen to? Actually, do you listen to music while you're lifting? And if you do, what do you listen to? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I really like, like, uh, I guess heavy, heavy rap. Like, heavy rap? I mean, I don't know. I like <laughs> it to be loud. I like it to be angry. Um, I don't really, I don't do Drake in the gym. <laughs> Um, I really like like Benny the Butcher, Conway. I mean, the whole Griselda crew. The butcher's coming. Um, it's, it's so it's like it, I love the beats. They're so dark. Um, Rico Nasty. I don't know. I'm just like that's mo- that's one mood. And then sometimes if it's a really serious session, and I find myself like getting too wrapped up and like too like um, emotionally or mentally aroused by it, I'm gonna throw on some country music. Really. Or, like, yeah, something a little bit calmer, you know, that I, like, know the words to and I can have fun with. Um, I am, I feel like I'm a little bit less picky about, like, the music I listen to than Roy, because <laughs> Roy's, like, very particular about, like, his music taste. And I know what he's going to like and what he doesn't like. Um, but sometimes I'll throw on something and he'll be like, mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, what do you think, Roy? Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose it kind of depends on what you're doing in the gym. Um, like I mentioned, I like to breathe after my workouts. I can't do that to G Herbo. I can't. I can't. <laughs> like, I'm going to put on some jazz instrumentals. I'm going to put on something like that. But DJ Morton. <laughs> for the, for the you know, for most of the time in the, that I'm in the gym, it's, um, you know, we talked about how we both played basketball and stuff. I feel like music and basketball are pretty um, intertwined. And so... I don't know. I I have I'm biased towards um, I don't want to say like trap, but that's the best way I can think to describe it. So a lot of like Davies, G Herbo, Polo G, stuff like that um, is usually what I'm listening to when I'm working out. Um, but my music taste is a little bit all over the place when it comes to outside of the gym. Um, so like I said, a lot of like the, the pop smokes and stuff like that while I'm working out. But when it comes down to it, I think R&B is probably like my favorite genre when it actually comes down to it outside of the gym and stuff like that. Yeah, I know. Um, like I listen to a lot of this, st- like the same stuff you guys are saying is what I listen to when I'm working out or whatever. But if I'm running, I have to listen to a podcast. I can't listen to music while running because I get bored. And then I just start to count how long the song is. And then I'm like, oh, I've been running for three minutes. Um, yeah. But a lot of people I heard, they, they lift to R&B, which is, just sounds psycho to me. I don't know how people do it. What? Yeah, I mean, like I said, for me, I think it kind of depends on the task. Like, if it's something very rhythmic, then I guess I can see it. But if you're, like, if, if you're trying to lift heavy or, you know, be explosive, then I, I can't really, I can't really <laughs> use the Mary J. Blige or 
whatever Johnny Turner likes to listen to when he works out. Man, can I just tell you? Sorry, this is a big sidebar. I've worked out with Johnny so many times. The man has four songs he listens to while we left. Four songs. And one of them is Cashing Out, which came out when we were 13. <laughs> um, this is kind of my last question, uh, just the, or this section at least. Like, um, So you both also like document your training pretty well, whether it's like you take videos or photos of what you're doing as well as like what you're eating to like help yourself or what you're learning about. Is that more for yourself so to document your own growth or is it to like help inspire others too? Um, I think, well, for me, I have an online coach right now. Um, I, he's been my coach for like two years. So that is one way that he sees like my progress. So that's one avenue I take. And then kind of as like my platform's gotten a little bit bigger, I think it is the responsible thing for me to do to be um, kind of like, uh, what's that word? Okay. Transparent. Transparent and like what I'm doing. Mm. Um, and I guess I try not to like post so much like, what I eat anymore because I have a I have a larger female following, um, so I'm also mindful about like um, kind of not perpetuating uh, stereotypes within the fitness community. Mm. Like I'm only eating like I have a protein and carb and fat, <laughs> and that is how all your meals should look. So um, I try to be as transparent as possible, and in doing so, I I make myself like a a better person because it's not like I'm thinking. Oh my God, what would Instagram say if they saw me doing this? But it's like, am I who I say I am on the internet? Um, and of course, nobody's perfect and like um, everybody slips up. But I think everybody has a platform, even if, it, if it's a little bit smaller. And especially in like turbulent times, like right now, it's important that people use that to uh, promote uh, positivity and just generally good things great answer um for me when it comes to like sharing my own stuff i guess the main reason why i do that is to um just kind of put out different ideas expose people to different things and, and show them some things that they not might not be doing that they might want to consider doing or, or ponder why i might be doing it ask questions things like that so for me it's just about sharing um and trying to learn from other people um I think there is a big tendency in strength and conditioning that like everybody swears that they have all the answers and that their way is the best way. But the more I go along, the more I see that like there, there's never just any one way to do anything or achieve any one outcome. Um, so yeah, for, for, for my personal training, it's more about, I guess just sharing ideas, um, showing people that I, I actually work out as well because right. I, I do think that, is sort of important to your credibility as a trainer to show that, um, you know, you're, you're training like the way that you train your athletes and stuff like that, because I've at least found that if you can't like demonstrate what you're asking somebody to do, they're going to look at you funny because if you can't do it, how do you look asking somebody else to do it? And of course there are scenarios where the athletes super high level and I'm, you know, I'm not going to hang with them on the weights or whatever, but you have to be able to show them what it is you want and explain why you want them to do it and stuff like that. So that's why I share my own training. Um, why I share a lot of like what my, my clients are doing, my athletes are doing is number one, um, just for exposure for them. I think a lot of times they'll reshare it on their story or whatever. And I think that's huge for them to show 
um, potential coaches, recruiters, stuff like that, that they're going out of their way to get extra work and, and trying to become better. I think it says a lot about the athlete, particularly most of the people I'm working with, like I said, don't don't get that um, in their schools or with their teams. So they're going out of their way. They're paying with their own money to try and get better. And I think that speaks volumes for uh, potential coaches and stuff like that. Um, the last, the last thing, last reason is that, um, social media is a huge driver of our business, Mm -hmm. like, um, word of mouth and referrals and things like that are huge. So if you can kind of share the success that other people are having, then that bodes really well for you. And you always want it to be genuine. You don't want to try to profit off of somebody or, um, leverage somebody's name or their accomplishments or anything like that. Like I never want to pretend that anything that any of the people I work with accomplish is because of me. Um, but I want, you know, it, it to be known that I'm doing everything I can to help them get there, if right. that makes sense. Right. And in terms of, like, being able to do the exercise as well, uh, I was talking with Oscar a while ago, and he said that's a huge thing. He's like, I'll never ask somebody to do an exercise that I myself can't do because then it just looks stupid, especially if they don't know how to do it. Yeah, I think, I think we're probably going to get into this, but I had a big shift for myself, like, up until probably a year ago, um, I thought that since I wasn't playing team sports, I didn't necessarily have to um, train like an athlete. I, and, you know, when I first started, when I first became a personal trainer and stuff like that, it's just not really well known that that's an option. Like everybody either um, is training to lose weight, gain weight, try to try to look better, whatever that means to them. But it's never really an option to just try to like be more athletic and have fun in the gym and do these different things. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of a, a relatively recent shift for me where um, now I train the exact same way that I have um, athletes train because um, that helps me figure out um, what I feel like is going to work best for them. Like I said, demonstrations are really important um, and you have to know that it's going to be safe for them as well. So I think that is uh, extremely important. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in your guys' approach, too, like, you guys, I mean, obviously, you're helping people get active or whatever, but you approach it kind of holistically, too. I mean, Roy, you talked about, like, mentally cooling down if you've been looking at a screen all day. Jen, you've talked about, like, making sure you're being transparent or whatever. So, like, in your approach, you approach it pretty holistically. Like, how important is that to both of you so that you're being both true to yourself as well as helping yourself become a more well-rounded individual? the only way to make training sustainable to you is to integrate it into your lifestyle and let like the lessons that you learn in the gym and what you practice in the gym be present outside of your life um and the same deal as how you go about your life let that um kind of bleed into how you are at the gym so um i think that if it's something you're not able to maintain and i'm super um, adamant with my clients, especially people that are like, I want to start with four days a week and they don't have like a very big training history. I'm like, how about we start with two days a week, even though that's going to make me less money, but I want this to be something that you can continue to do, um, for like months to come and not like burn out the first month because you're like, wow, this is a huge commitment and I can't make the time. Um, and it's not really going to gel with my life really well. So, um, I, I do the two day a week recommendation, in hopes that people will continue um, or maybe increase their days. And I also make sure, and I like recently just lost an athlete, but it was because she felt like she could take the reins now, which is super important to me. I want to teach people. I don't want to go 
coach somebody for like more than two years. I want to teach people how they can go and get it themselves because um, I have more people to help and I'm like, they shouldn't be paying for a trainer um, unless they want to, they shouldn't be paying, <laughs> paying for a trainer, you know, after they've already learned all they can from that trainer. So, you know, that's why it's really important for me to be holistic. Here's Junebug. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I will echo a lot of what Jen said. I think it, if you want it to be a real habit and a real part of your life for the long term, then um, it has to be sustainable, which means you're not killing yourself every workout. Um, you need to take a strategic approach to um, training. So we map out everything, whether it's like a three-week period or a six-week period. We're calculating everything that we're going to do in terms of how much we're stressing the person, um, making sure that we're checking in with them about how they're recovering, how they're feeling. Um, and the, the biggest thing, I think, is the re one of the reasons why exercise is so central to um, us as people and the way we live is because I think the um, benefits that you get from training and exercising um, really do transcend like just what, what you get in the gym. And that's been um, a lot of my clients express that to me, that the, the, the things that they're most proud of in terms of um, the progress they've made is, is as a person, not as like a physical specimen. So um, I think that, you know, the name of our company is intention. And that's something that we try to, we try to live by and practice by. So there's always a reason why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and I, I guess that's really what it comes down to is just trying to make sure that everything you're doing is calculated and that you're trying to, um, not just better somebody's physical appearance or physical performance, but help them become a better, healthier, happier person as well. Um, there's a lot of research that shows that um, extrinsic motivation, whether it's like losing a certain amount of weight or getting a six pack or whatever goals people might have, um, is a lot less effective when it comes to adherence to training than intrinsic motivation is, which is doing it because um, you genuinely want to, not because of something that's extra external or some type of reward so that's something that we try to push a lot that's bars i don't even have any response to that i was just bars right there um so then my next question is then like do you two ever work out together not not as much anymore we used to work out <laughs> together all the time and and i remember like a lot of the things roy does with his athletes now like barefoot training i used to be more like why are you not training with your shoes on like, <laughs> better for your feet um, but we used to work out together a lot, and especially, like, over the pandemic, the only gym we had access to was downstairs um, when my parents lived here, and it was my dad's basement, or my dad's, like, basement gym. We don't really work out together anymore because we argue mm. so much. I'm like, why are you doing it that way? <laughs> <laughs> why don't you do it? And Rose, like, you're, I was using that bar, um, and it just gets really messy. And it takes a long time. So um, we don't train together that much anymore, but we do play, like, a lot of, like, um, quote-unquote training games together. Mm -hmm. So we'll, like, throw the Hiko stick around the house and, like, have competitions because we are really competitive. Mm -hmm. um, but I think most couples will find – I know a lot of couples like this. It's just, like, we don't train together anymore, especially if we're doing different workouts because, like – there's just a lot of potential for conflict right there. Because if you're trying to get in your zone, your partner's trying to get in their zone, um, sometimes zones don't mix. I feel like you you both just know too much, too. Like, there's no, like, 
area, like gray area of what somebody might not know and what somebody does know. You both just know too much that you're like, well, you should do it this way. And then Rory's like, well, no, I need to do it this way because this, this, and this. We have different training paradigms too when it comes to like how we train. Yeah. So I'm like, I would do it that way. That doesn't make (laughs) any sense for jump training. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, at least the biggest thing that comes down to is just that we do different workouts now. So it doesn't really make sense to, um, a lot of times our schedules don't match up too, but um i was like i especially early on um i learned i've learned a lot from jen about training um and she's always very gracious in terms of letting me ask her questions and bounce ideas off of her so i love have i love that we can share that um as business partners and just um as life partners is something we're both passionate about that we can share and enjoy together uh but no we we definitely don't work out (laughs) together anymore um, at least not often. Sometimes we'll do, we'll go in and do something um, fun, you know, or quote unquote fun. That's not necessarily like part of our structured training, but if we want to go in and mess around with some kettlebells or do some Olympic lifting or something like that, we'll do that together. We have trick offs too. Yeah, I always win. But. <laughs> um, another question is like, so obviously we've been in this pandemic and you guys do a, I mean, you, you, are in a profession now, I guess, where you're in a gym a lot. So how has that affected it? Because gyms have been closed. You have to wear the mask mandate now. You mentioned cleaning it, all that. So how has that affected it for you guys? Well, uh, there was like a point in time where we couldn't bring in any new clients to the gym. So it would open right back up and it'd be like, okay, you can bring in your your old clients, um, but you can't sign up any new clients. And then by that time, a lot of our old clients were like, well, I can't afford to come in anymore because like I lost my job or um, I need to help out my family so that was rough um I was doing a lot of like virtual training which I I hate I hate it I still have one virtual client um and that's somebody I know pretty well but other other than that and I was working under somebody um last year a little bit before this time and he was like well I want to go for a full virtual and I was like "Uh, absolutely not um (laughs) Right now, I would say things are getting back to, like, relatively normal. Um, We still have to wear masks and wipe everything down in the gym, which is, like, a small price to pay for the gyms being open, um, even though cases aren't necessarily under control yet. Um, I would just say, like, scheduling is a little bit weird because you want to make sure you're not in there at a super busy time because masks do come down. And this is, like, the crowd where I'd be like, "Mm, you might have COVID. Mm. (laughs) Like, um, but... Yeah, I mean, how do you feel about it, Roy? Can you can you ask the original question again, Marcus? Sorry. Um, so, like, how has just like how has it affected your training and all that during the pandemic, or whatever? Like, you've had to, I mean, from the mask mandate to gyms being closed, like you had to adjust a lot. So, how has it like impacted you? Yeah, the, I mean, the biggest thing was there have been, I think, since like you know when this all started, the gyms have shut down two separate times for extended periods. So it was like we we got back from the first one, which is really challenging, and then they shut down again. And, um, so in terms of like, you know, keeping keeping clients, gaining clients, keeping the business moving forward, that has been extremely challenging. Um, like Jen said, we're not the only ones living through these circumstances. So a lot of people are also losing their jobs. They're not able to afford training. They might not feel comfortable coming to a gym where there is an inherent risk. Um, I have several. Um, people who I work with who, you know, just don't feel comfortable coming. And I totally understand that. And I respect that um, because like Jen said, the masks come down from some people at the gym. And as much as um, the staff at our gym try to control it and and do their very best to enforce it, 
not everybody's going to listen all the time. So um, navigating the risk is something that um, we have to be very aware of. And it's been a struggle as far as business goes. But um, we really just tried to keep it pushing and come up with different ideas on how we can keep people connected, help people stay on track and um, be accessible to people in terms of being resources for other people. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a tough time for everybody. And I think from outside looking in, you guys have done a really good job of adjusting and all that, just from the videos I see and what you guys share. So I wanted to say, like, like com congratulate, no, commend. Is that the word? Commend? Yeah. There you go. Commend you guys for that. Thank um, you. And then, Roy, you've been working with Ellerson recently a little bit, uh, who looks like, shout out to Ellerson really quick, looks like he's going to get go in the NFL out there in the, uh, what is it, the senior ball, doing big things. Proud of you, bro. Um, how's that experience been for you, just to work with somebody who looks like he's going to be a professional athlete? Yeah, I mean, that whole experience has been amazing. Um, Ellerson, like you said, fantastic athlete, even better person. He's extremely humble, hardworking, dedicated. So, um, you know, I got to, to train him um, for probably two to three months um, earlier in his off season. He was in a unique situation where his season um, – was canceled. He was at the University of Northern Iowa, so he had to decide whether he wanted to try and transfer to go play at a different school who was having a season, or if he wanted to opt out and uh, declare for the draft. So ultimately, that's what he decided to do. He um, signed with an agent, and he, he came home to Minneapolis. So I had been working with some of um, his friends, former or, or current college football athletes um, in Minnesota, and he came through for a workout, and I think that um, you know, I was able to expose him to some different ideas and kinds of training that he wasn't necessarily uh, being exposed to at in his college setting. And a lot of that is due to the fact that um, in the collegiate setting, there's 30 other athletes, so you don't get that individual intention. Um, there's not there's not enough space. A, a huge thing that I think is lacking in college strength and conditioning is um, they don't do a ton of dedicated like speed training, power training, stuff like that, because there's just a huge emphasis on getting guys bigger and stronger, which like we talked about before, doesn't always translate to better performance. So, um, he came, he came for a workout. He, I guess he liked, he liked what we had going on and, um, he decided that he wanted to train with me. So I got connected with his agent and, um, we trained together three, four days a week for a couple months. We saw some great results. And, uh, then he went off to Arizona to Exos, which is a big sport performance facility. Um, they have lots of different locations, but he's in Arizona. So they are preparing him for the combine. That training is very uh, specialized to the test that they do at the combine. Um, so he's been there preparing for that. Um, like I said, we saw some some really great results. Um, after the couple months training with me when he went down to Exos, he, they retested his vertical, and he had gained like seven inches since when he left college. So um, I think – you know, like I said, a little bit different styles of training. Um, I think it was very mutually beneficial. Obviously, it was a great opportunity for me. Um, I feel I'd like to think that, you know, it was a good opportunity for him, too, and I was able to provide him with some value. And he had a, a very good showing at the Reese's Senior Bowl. I think that was this past weekend. And, um, yeah, I mean, I hope to continue to work with him and help him, um, you know, establish himself in the league and, um, we've got some other things that we're hoping to work on together, too, as far as um, impacting the community we both came from and stuff like that. So I really look forward to uh, what's to come on that front. 
Yeah, and uh, Ellerson Roy's too nice to say it. You know, he wants that percentage of that che- that first uh, what's it called? The first salary check. Roy needs that percentage. And if you want to throw some my way too, I mean, <laughs> I'm not complaining. Um, but yeah, so Jen, you mentioned that your uh, your dad competed was a power lifter, right? Yeah. Um. So. Uh, you both have competed in powerlifting competitions. Um, how do you prepare for those? So um, I did my first meet in 2012, and this was kind of before powerlifting hit, like a huge increase in popularity. Um, this was at the time when, like, people were like, yeah, I'm going to go eat McDonald's, and then I'm going to go lift. And it was about, like, getting, like, as big as possible. And now powerlifting has changed a lot. Um, but for those that don't know, powerlifting is squat bench deadlifting. Um, so on competition day, you hit a max squat, you hit a max bench, you hit a max deadlift, and that's your total. Um, training for powerlifting is super tedious, and it can be super boring because you're training for one day for, like, five hours of lifting. So you have, like, a, you have a hypertrophy block, which means you're trying to build as much muscle as possible. That is a lot of reps. Then you're doing a strength block where your, your central nervous system becomes super fatigued because um, you're hitting, like, heavy singles, doubles, triples. Then you have your peak block, which your strength goes up, but your level of fitness, in order to make your strength goes up, goes down. So you're basically super strong and then super out of shape. Um, and then the cycle repeats. So I'm actually on my way out of powerlifting temporarily right now, and I'm going to do some Olympic lifting, which is the clean uh, snatch and clean and jerk which I think is more athletic in general. Um, I wish I'd gotten into that before powerlifting. But, yeah, so I'll, I'll be doing that. And then maybe – and then we'll jump back into powerlifting at a later time. What was your experience training for a powerlifting meet? You hated it. <laughs> <laughs> well, before I talk about my experience, you are far too humble. Um, Jen is a very accomplished powerlifter and went to nationals, um, obviously has won several state-level competition so um been doing it for a long time and is very good at it um i just wanted to give you your flowers right, but right talk talk your shit jen it's okay <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean so i did i did one powerlifting meet um probably like two or three years ago at this point um my experience i have a lot of issues with powerlifting um that's not to like throw shade at anyone who does it um uh, i think Anything that gets people to train and go to the gym and exercise is excellent. Um, but as far as like the sport itself, the biggest issues it's not the sport, it's a hobby. The biggest issues I have with this <laughs> hobby are like Jen said, it's there's three lifts. And so you're doing those three lifts year round. Um, it's extremely repetitive. It really, really wears on your body when you're just moving in the same fashion all the time. Um, everything is straight up and down. You're not moving side to side, you're not moving rotationally, and obviously in life and in sports, that's not how things work. So that's my number one issue with um, traditional like powerlifting training and why I decided not to take that route. Um, beyond that, I just don't. I, I think there's a ton of comparison because it all comes down to um, the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So people start getting cut up, caught up in, and I found myself getting caught up in. Um, this person lifts more than me, so they're better than me. Um, and, and you start to tie your value as a person to your numbers. And that is extremely problematic to me. And that's not just powerlifting, um, whether it's your 40 yard dash, your vertical jump, whatever it is. Um, if you are, if your identity is tied to that, um, you really have nothing else. So that is an issue to me. 
Um, as far as my experience, like Jen said, um, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. I stuck it through. I did it. I'm, I'm proud that I did it. I had a good experience, um, lifted the most weight I've ever lifted. So, I mean, that's kind of cool, but ultimately I felt really beat down from the training. Um, the thing about powerlifting is there is an emphasis on technique, but at the end of the day, it's about lifting the most weight you possibly can. So whether you're doing that with proper technique or not does not matter. It, it really doesn't. So, um, you might start squatting with your lower back and it still counts. Um, so, you know, like I just, I felt really beat up from that. I decided that that was not, if I wanted to work with athletes and I wanted to focus on sports performance, which I do, that's what I care about. That's what I'm passionate about. Then I needed to train that way. So that's why I decided to kind of, um, step away. But like I said, at the end of the day, whatever gets you in the gym and helps you build towards something, um, is, is a positive in my eyes. So no shame to any powerlifters out there. Right, right. I mean, shit looks hard for me. I probably will never do one, but that shit looks too tough for me. So props to both of you for doing that. And I don't want to, like, pigeonhole you guys either. Like, you guys don't only lift weights, and that's, like, not your whole life. It's a big, it's a part of your life, but it's not your whole life. You guys are both also really passionate about, like, social justice and things like that. Has that uh, always been something, or has it increased, uh, always been something you've, like, been concerned about, or has it increased as you've matured? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I would say it definitely has been something that I've always thought about. Um, just growing up in the inner city, um, going through the public school system, um, we've always been in diverse classrooms, um, on diverse teams. Um, so, you know, the injustices that are kind of inherent in our society, that was something that I've seen my entire life, whether it's with friends, classmates, stuff like that. Um, we see this stuff go, go on around us and... Um, so I feel very blessed for having, um, that level of exposure and awareness from a young age. Um, beyond that, I had some great opportunities as far as, um, education goes, starting all the way back in middle school. Funny story, there was this program called, um, Dare to be Real, where we would gather in big groups, um, and have difficult conversations about race, um, and things like that. And that was actually, I, I can recall, I, I think I was in like sixth or seventh grade. Um, that was the first time I remember like acknowledging that I had a crush on Genesis. So <laughs> that's a sidebar, but, um, so it, it kind of started then. And then from there, um, it's just, you know, it's a huge part of our life. And I think it, as much as, um, you know, reading and educating yourself is important. Um, I think, you know, acting on it where, where you can in your everyday life is even more important and just living by your values in whatever your craft is. So even, even like within our business, um, as far as personal training and stuff like that, we try to, um, you know, practice what we believe is right. Um, like Jen said, while we might not have the biggest platforms, I'm always going to share resources, um, I'm going to advocate for justice and stuff like that on my, my social platform, even if it costs followers, if it costs clients, whatever it might be, because, um, at the, you know, at the, at the end of it all, we're not going to be thinking about work. We're going to be thinking about like the legacy you're leaving, the impact you had on people. Um, so yeah, whether it was, um, dare to be real and then going through South, we obviously had a lot of opportunities, um, to, to be exposed to these issues and there's, protests and so i we sort of grew up in that and that's mm -hmm. it's always been something that's pretty central in my life um it's something that 
I wish that I dedicated more time to. And um, that's hard to say because we all want to pretend like we're doing everything we can. But um, I wish that I spent more time on it. I wish that I dedicated more time to these issues. And I do try to do things to make sure that um, I'm I'm being a part of um, the solution. You know, if we if I think white people particularly have a really important role in it all because um, black people and people of color have been saying these things for hundreds of years and it, it hasn't worked. And um, in terms of actually, you know, causing change on a policy level, at the government level, things like that. So uh, I feel like I'm sort of rambling now, but at the end of the day, it is something that's really important to me. Uh, I'm going to continue educating myself about it. Um, and just trying to do the right thing when I can. Yeah, for me, I grew up, like I said, in a six-kid household um, in a two-bedroom house, and uh, for, like, a minute there, my parents slept on the living room floor. So, I, like, growing up, I was always taught, and two of my siblings are foster siblings, so growing up, I was always taught, like, really basic principles, like, we have a roof over our head, and we have love and care for each other so that was like very much the basis of um how i wanted to treat other people and that was um how my parents raised me was to um be a good person and to advocate for people who might have less than you because um not not only people that might have less than you but people that have lesser opportunities so that was kind of the basis there and also i am um anishinaabe or ojibwe from Malax and I always noticed a really big discretion between like how my family lived on the reservation and how um, like my white family lived so that was always kind of key for me growing up um, and then in high school I started getting more into quote-unquote like social justice or social activism um, and eventually at Carleton I majored in political science so to say that um, like, social justice is important to me. I feel like it's kind of an understatement because it basically reflects, like, all... I mean, it reflects in all of the decisions I'm making because mm. I'm becoming a... And I'm not saying that I need to be... Or that in order to care about social justice, you need to be um, at every protest or it needs to be... It needs to come up in every area of your life. But I'm saying you need to find one one kind of area and you need to run with it because you need, you need to turn that empathy into compassion. Um, and I think we do a really good job of that, um, through like our personal training model. And I am currently, um, in the process of becoming a community health worker for specifically the native population with diabetes. Mm. So, um, I think people can get really, really overwhelmed with social justice issues because like, there's so many, of them like which one how can I even help I feel so helpless but um there's a quote I like and it's like um I don't know shoot it's like um one person can't do everything but one person can do something mm, so you can I always like do you can always do something yeah. you just need to find that spot that you're extra, extra passionate about yeah, I just want to say, well, thank you both for sharing that. I'm just just curious about it, and it's really interesting to, like, hear you guys' perspectives on it, too. Um, and then, I mean, we've se I've seen her on the camera a couple of times. You guys have a dog, too, that you're really passionate about. I mean, I'm not complaining about that. I like your 
But can you guys tell me a little bit about Junebug? Like, how long have you had her? Like, and you guys do some really good training, not working out, but training with her too as well. Uh, I'll go first, and then I'll let Jen sound off on this because she um, has invested a great amount of time and energy into Junebug's training. So I'll let her speak on that. But um, yeah, Junebug is our our pit bull. Um, she is. Ooh, like one and a half, almost two. She is from the Minnesota Pitbull Rescue. Um, we adopted her like two summers ago now. Um, when we adopted her, we were not anticipating a lot of the things that went on um, as far as, you know, she's got some behavior stuff, um, which is heightened because she's a pit bull and that comes with a stigma, right? Um, so obviously we love her. She's adorable she's super playful and cuddly cuddly. um so we we love our dog but she's not perfect and we realized that we had to address that if we wanted to keep her around for the long term Mm -hmm. so um like you said we've done a lot of training with her and i'm gonna let jen kind of talk about that um initially a lot of the training we did for her um was very like positive reinforcement so it's it's like okay you did something good here's the treat but for junebug she would just get bad like she would be like doing something (laughs) angrily and then but she would do it and we'd give her a treat um and I think there's a serious problem when you can't pick up your own dog because you're scared your dog is gonna bite you and Mm. there were like times where I was like I can't I can't handle her because I don't want to get bit and that's not good especially because we plan on having kids sometime and I was like I the last thing I would want to do is like put her down or have to give her away so Something really changed, like, before the pandemic, and we started bringing her to um, a really, really qualified, yet um, kind of out-of-the-ordinary trainer, and that was that was a lot less positive reinforcement, and so she lost a lot of weight because we weren't constantly, like, feeding her peanut butter in order to get her to <laughs> behave. But it has worked really well. Um, yeah. There's a, it like, I don't know, I actually find a lot of similarities between myself and Junebug and that we're both very anxious and thrive with structure. So mm-hmm. she's got a lot more structure now. There are some rules she's got to follow, um, some expectations for her, but um, her behavior has got a lot better. And now that we're out of the apartment where she's able to kind of identify, okay, this is my house. That is not my house. I don't mm-hmm. have to protect this, this hallway, this stairway. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how help, that's helping her a lot. So yeah, um, we're very grateful for her, um, but it has been a, a lot of work you know, yeah. getting to the, the spot where we feel like um, she's not a liability, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've just, I've just noticed that too. And Jen, you share like the training you do with her all the time. So it was interesting to me there as well. Um, I mean, I can see one of Jen's tattoos, but you guys are both pretty into tattoos. Got a lot of ink on you. Um, was it something you always wanted or is it just something that happened as you grew up and finally realized, oh, I can get these? I've always wanted tattoos. My sister has like around I would say like 20 tattoos um my parents not a big fan um but I told them like as soon as I turn 18 I'm gonna go get a tattoo <laughs> um so on my 18th birthday I skipped school and I went and <laughs> got a tattoo <laughs> um but yeah I really like tattoos and I think getting past like the stigma of you get a tattoo and it has to mean something has been really nice like I just like to have nice art on my body and um so people can't tell me I don't like expensive art <laughs> expensive um but yeah no I really like tattoos um 
I have like a list in my phone of like potential ideas and I'm really happy I make that list because sometimes I go back and I'm like, Ooh, bad, bad idea. <laughs> Thank goodness I didn't get that. Um, what about you, Roy? Um, yeah, for me, I, I think I always knew that I, I wanted some, um, my mom and my sister got them around the time that I was getting close to being 18. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, I definitely want some. And we all have matching ones. My mom, my sister and I, and then my brother will get one when he turns 18. We all have sunflowers um, because that, my mom would always grow those outside our house. So that's kind of like how I knew that I wanted to get one. And then once you get one, um, it kind of snowballs from there. So got quite a few more now. Um, like Jen said, some of mine are very meaningful. They have um, very, like defined meanings to me and I like that because I can look at it and be reminded of that but like she said I don't think that every tattoo has to have some um like most high meaning I, I think you can just like art and you know have that on you so I, I see both sides of that um but ultimately I think it's a really cool way to express yourself it's the ultimate accessory you know because it's, it's never not on you so you can kind of style your outfits around it and stuff like that which is cool um but yeah, I mean, I definitely think I'll get more. They're expensive, like Jen said, so I've pulled off on them in a, for the last couple couple months, probably. But I usually like to get one on my birthday. Um, I have for the past several years, so I'll probably continue to do that. Yeah, I mean, I like your guys' tattoos as well. Yeah, so, and then I'm just like my second to last question here a little bit. So you guys also have a podcast as well. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about how you guys decided to start your podcast? during pandemic times and um we would go on walks as like everybody did in the beginning of the pandemic um we would go on walks and we'd have like a lot of talks about just like training and um like random well, shit. yeah random shit but we're like wow this is a good conversation right. we should really record this <laughs> we should like... record this so um we started doing it on our phone we just used anchor and we would not we didn't have a microphone or anything like that and then um the first episode actually um we did on on my on your phone mm -hmm. and um I was like walking back and forth um throughout like the bedroom and the living room and stuff because I was so nervous like I didn't <laughs> want to just sit there and talk um but yeah what do you remember about that well yeah I I just first of all when she says that like we were doing it on our phone like we literally put the phone in the middle of the table and use the microphone on the phone. To record. <laughs> it was pretty funny because some people would be like, dang, that sound sounds so good. Like, what are you using? Be like, uh, iPhone. the iPhone seven. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, I think we just wanted a little bit like more open and longer form, um, way to answer questions, uh, get out information and, and help people learn about who we are as people. Because like you said, a lot of our social media surrounds what we do as far as training, but, um, we're, we're more than that. So we wanted just a longer form um, audio thing where we could bounce ideas off each other, talk about topics, field questions, things like that. Um, and I think having a podcast, being on podcasts, interviewing people is really helpful in terms of honing your communication skills, your listening skills particularly. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. And it's also it's also not very common anymore. Uh, that makes me sound old as shit, but very common that we just like sit down and talk to people without being on our phone or doing something else or so I, I really enjoy that aspect of it yeah i mean i i've listened i listen to you guys when i get a chance to i like your guys's podcast as well 
Um, and I remember specifically, you guys did an episode with Johnny, and that really like inspired me to start one because I realized that like you guys made it seem so easy. Not like it was like just like bad or anything, but like you made it seem easy. Like I, in my idea, it was just big thing that I couldn't obtain. And when you guys did it, it really made me realize that I could do it too. So like it really inspired me to start this. So I wanted to thank both of you for that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad we did because uh, I'm a big fan of the, the Hidden Gems podcast. I think you're a great communicator, a good people person. Um, you ask really good questions. Yeah, and I know you, that you know, you've, you've studied communication. So I think I, I'm really glad that we had a role in, in you getting started. And I hope you stick with it because you do a good job. Oh, thank you. Thank you guys both so much. I mean, and then I just got a last little question. You know, um, I'll link these in the episode description below. But if people are looking for a trainer, like, where can they find you? So we have a website. Thanks to Marcus. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in dash tension. And tension is spelled T E N S I O N training.com. <laughs> we'll send it to you, Marcus. Yeah. I'll link it in the episode description, too. Don't yeah. worry. Cool. We always forget. But, um, my, yeah, we have a website. You want to give your. Yeah, my Instagram is um, at Genesis Hope. Uh, my Instagram is at Roy Palmer1. Um, and yeah, the website's a good good place to find us. On there, you can find other things like links to the podcast. Uh, we also have a Patreon page if you want to support us and um, access some like exclusive resources that we put on there and stuff like that. So if you're looking for a trainer, um, your best shot is probably contacting us on Instagram or going to the website. Yeah. Well, Genesis and Roy, I just want to thank you both so much. Um, I'm honored to have both of you on here for real. Thank you guys. Um, thanks for talking to me. All our technical difficulties aside, so thank you. Of course, Marcus. Thanks for having us. that's going to do it for episode 10 i will say there was a lot of bars dropped in that episode by both jen and roy one more time i want to thank you both for coming on truly was a pleasure i also want to thank everybody who tuned in literally every single person who's tuned in thank you so much i really appreciate it as always i'm your host marcus johnson luther don't forget to subscribe apple spotify whichever podcast platform you prefer follow us on twitter and instagram links in the episode description below and thank you so much once again i'm marcus johnson luther Thanks for tuning in.